0: And this is the important thing that people should understand if anyone who disagrees with me and my views is still listening to this conversation at this point, which is (laughs) unlikely. Uh, But if they are, this is the point that I think people need to understand. There's nothing liberal about this ideology whatsoever. There's nothing liberal or progressive about an ideology that says people should be treated differently because of the color of their skin. Mm. Or that says that some people should be discriminated against because they happen to have been born in a male body and other people should be discriminated in favor of because they've been born in a female body. Uh, There's nothing progressive or liberal about this. This is an authoritarian ideology Mm. that wants to reshape society by punishing people because people who looked like them in the past did things that people don't agree with anymore. That's it. It's an authoritarian ideology. There's nothing to do with liberalism. And the reason that it's happening all around us is that they've infiltrated all these institutions
1: and organizations.
0: The bliss of the abyss, it's here now.
1: Welcome back to The Bliss of the Abyss. Right, straight to it. This week, our guest is Constantin Kissin. You probably know him as the co-host of the very popular YouTube series Trigonometry, where they have people from all across the political spectrum and discuss the difficult questions. I know him as a friend and an actor. He was in my short movie Hats. I'll drop the link in the show notes. Or perhaps you know him from his recent appearance on the Joe Rogan experience. That's right, the first ever guest in the history of The Bliss of the Abyss to also be on Rogan. On Onwards and upwards we go. So this is a really great conversation. We get into all kinds of things um, from from Constantine's moving to the UK and being completely broke to building up to where he is today, getting on Rogan. We talk about the comedy industry, quitting stand-up, being called right-wing, hyperbole and arguments, things like gender, political correctness, social media everything this is a really wide-ranging and interesting conversation and i encourage everybody who likes it to like and subscribe to the podcast join the patreon thanks again for listening if it's your first time here welcome if you're coming back welcome again i'll see you next time so without any further ado ladies and gentlemen and all kinds of folks welcome constantine (laughs) kissing
0: no it's uh it's a uh, coffee with a lot of milk in it
1: okay right it looks yeah. suspiciously milky i've gone the complete opposite mine is totally jet black i don't know if you can see right you a real, real man, man. Yeah, yeah exactly man. yeah well all said. the testosterone flow through body. anyway constant Kissin, long time coming welcome to the bliss of the abyss how are you doing mate i'm um, very well thanks for having me mate yeah of course of course now of course since I last saw you, um, you've gone from strength to strength. But I like to think that I am responsible for your big break. After all, absolutely, I did cast you in the significant Hollywood blockbuster hats. The yes. Movie. What What were the sales on that? How's that? Then? <laughs> um, we're still waiting because you know it's doing international box office right now, so we're still waiting for the full figures. Oh, okay. On that, but um, yeah, you'll be getting your uh, your returns pretty soon. Don't worry. <laughs> Look forward to it. It's all in the post, um, but Jesus, since then, mate, I mean, you, you've launched Trigonometry, which has become this incredible international success. You've written a book, An Immigrant's Love letter to the West, which I really enjoyed reading. It's a great book, man, really funny, really thought provoking, and we can talk about all of that. And then, and then I see you on Rogan, like the biggest show in the world, and then you're having a puff with him. I mean. Yeah how crazy has this trajectory been like do do you obviously i'm joking it's not because of me but do you credit it to that like initial news story you know the the you know the one well uh,
0: yeah i do Uh, first of all i'm not sure that we launched trigonometry after you and i were doing hats so when did we when would we? yeah
1: I think it was 2018. So maybe trigonometry precedes it a little bit. So there.
0: trigonometry started in April, 2018. Right. Um, so I, I definitely think the new story, which is me turning down the safe space contract that definitely did not hurt uh, the process, but having started trigonometry already, I think we were already on our way mm. and it's weird. I, you know, I said this to Rogan, actually, I, have done many things in my life and very frequently it's not been the case that I've gone, Oh, I'm going to do this. And I am convinced this is going to be a success. <laughs> Quite often I've done something and I've gone, well, I'll try this and I, I'm going to work hard at it and see what happens. Right. But I think it is fair to say that when we started trigonometry, I knew it would be a success before we had like a single person who was listening or watching it
1: really yeah i
0: i just had this deep sense of knowing that it was the right thing at the right time and we were the right people to do it
1: how have Um, you have you had that feeling about anything before
0: uh Yes, my wife. We met when right. we were 18. We were married by 20. We've been together ever
1: since. So uh, like these super rare events in life where you just, it's like a gut feeling of yeah. like, oh, this is the right thing.
0: Yeah, it just, you, you know that, that click you get when everything mm. just like goes and everything yeah. is in place. That's how I felt. And that's how I felt about trigonometry, which is why I spent the first couple of years of doing it actually being very frustrated with it mm. because... I remember the conversation we would often have at the beginning it was like this is objectively great content why is no one watching it and <laughs> I, th- I think a lot of people doing you know podcasts and YouTube shows and all sorts of things like that will feel that mm. uh, and so maybe it was just the natural thing that you feel but I always felt that you know I was very frustrated not only with the fact that we weren't going as quickly as i wanted but also you know we didn't have the look and sound of the show that i wanted it to be from the beginning uh if if people go back and watch the first episodes it looks like a seance where like in this uh, black room there's no light on anyone except the guest uh we are (laughs) to the side it just it just looks really weird um and i was always saying to francis you know we need to get like this needs to look different we need lapel microphones and uh you know that was a a thing that we were talking about at the time but obviously particularly back then you know we didn't we were funding it ourselves yeah, it course. was it's just right. our our cash we weren't making any money we didn't make any money if, so what uh, let me put it like this we did not generate any money for like a year plus of doing mm-hmm. it maybe a year and a half two years even and then we didn't take any money as and we didn't pay ourselves even like 500 quid a month Salary mm. Mm. until uh, until the pandemic. Wow, really? So we did it off our own backs as with a equip, as a passion years. project for like for 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 two plus wow. plus years, and it only became you know it's like that Yogi Berra quote: "It took me ten years to become an overnight success." Right. It's like you build, you build, you build, and then there's a bit of a breakthrough, and then you build more, and there's another one, and 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 there's been a lot of really cool moments along the way um you know the, the the time we made it full time um that was huge and actually it was a result of having to leave the place that we were using at the studio and we were like well why don't we just double down mm, you right. know what it's the pandemic uh we, why don't we just take it full time. And instead of putting out one interview a week, why don't we do two? Why don't we do the live streams that we've now added, which we Mm. call the raw shows. Um, You know, the first time we interviewed some of the people that we both really look up to, you know, the first time we interviewed uh, Douglas Murray the first time we interviewed Jordan Peterson Uh, those were like the early days and, and behind each one of those there's like a long story of like how it happened mm. and it wasn't just like hey uh, Jordan would you like to come on the show <laughs> y- yes please you know it, it, it all took months of work and back and forth and and the yes it's happening oh no it's not anymore and yes it, you know and stuff mm. like that um and so yeah, at every and um at every step of the way there's been this uh, these incredible ups and downs, and of course, um you know the latest things going to the US, interviewing Bill Burr, Burr Rogan, Sam Harris, Harris, being on Rogan, like all of that. Well. It's, yeah, it's been really fun. Um, and you know, for me, I suppose the the most important thing is I never really felt at home. Uh, in anything that I did really like I was before I started before I became a comedian I had my own freelance translation business mm. and I uh, it, it, and look objectively it was uh, successful I was making decent money I was one of the best people in my field in my language pair so if you needed somebody to translate something quite complicated from Russian into English I'd usually be one of the top three names in the world that you might look to, to do that in those particular areas. Um, so I, 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 it was, it's not, it's not like I was struggling. But it but wasn't I, filling in with passion. No, I wasn't happy doing it at all. <laughs> uh, it was a great way out for me because what happened With my uh, family, I've talked about this a lot. Obviously, is uh, my parents were very wealthy for a very short period of time. (laughs) Uh, And so they sent me to boarding school. And that was the time that they had money. And by the time I got to university, they no longer did. And I never finished my degree. And I just needed, I needed to survive, basically. I needed something that would allow me to provide for me and my wife. And, you know, and that's how I fell into translation. Uh, But it so, and after about 10 years of that, I was like, okay. I can do this. I've ticked all the boxes. I've reached all the levels. I, I I kind of I think I spent too much time as a kid playing computer games because I sort of think of life as a bit of a computer game. So, like I I'd, I'd got You'd through all the, the final levels. boss. Yeah, I would <laughs> killed the final boss. I got and I was just like this is over, I need a new game. Mm. And that's partly why I started doing comedy and I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I enjoyed most of that a mm. lot. What I didn't enjoy was the travel. Mm-hmm. which by the time the pandemic hit, I realized it was absolutely killing me. Mm-hmm. And it was hurting my relationship with my wife, which is to me is by far the most precious thing that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I really didn't enjoy is other comedians. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never really felt at home with other comedians. I didn't think they were interesting people by and large. They're Uh, the the
1: best and the worst of people often, aren't they? Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, But but disproportionately to one side, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, So I made some really great friends in the comedy world that I keep in touch with to this day and really respect. And, uh, you know, the fact that, for example, for me, the fact that I'm really good friends with Simon Evans, hmm. uh, to me, that's like something I really cherish because Simon is, I, I just respect the hell out of his comedy. Hmm. I respect the hell out of his, you know, commentary. He's not just a comedian. He's someone who's got really, really nuanced opinions about things. He's someone I massively look up to. So the, like people like that, that I met through a comedy, Andrew Doyle, who I'm like, just in awe of often, um, you know the friendship that I have with Francis as a result of doing trigonometry you know the you know Nico yearwood who's a re- like there's a right, bunch yeah. of people I could I could go on I don't want to you know offend anyone by uh, yeah, yeah doing yeah, a yeah, really yeah. long list.
1: list and if yeah. you didn't mention someone then, yeah. yeah but yeah.
0: there's there's a there's a load of people but they are a small minority of yeah. the industry and there are a lot of people who are very close-minded um and very superficial as well so I that that was something I really didn't Enjoy as much. I didn't, I never hung around uh, at comedy shows after I was done. Mm. Uh, other than to do a bit of networking which is Mm. a really sad thing to have
1: to do basically yeah it's the vagaries of every business though isn't it i mean it's the same translation i'm sure you know like you said you know the top three well then you probably know the top three and you're probably in conversation with them about the jobs that are coming up and stuff it's it's the nature of it but yeah but uh, what i
0: mean is i wasn't excited uh, i was not excited to be in that space i'm excited to be in the space i'm now and look i'm not having a go at anyone people are the way that they are and they are the way that they are because of their life experiences Mm. because of their genetics and because of what they went through and the industry that they're in and blah Mm. blah 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 blah. so i'm not saying they're all bad people it just wasn't my group of people that i wanted to hang around
1: with wasn't your tribe
0: so to me doing trigonometry most of all is just such a relief because i'm now surrounded by people that i i love being Mm. in conversation with you know um, and it's so- such a
1: broad range of people that you have on because you still have comedians on as well. Mm. And those are those are really fun chats because you can be silly with them. But you also have some very, very serious people on like the the, the Italian restaurant episode was mm. like really kind of shocking to me, actually. Um, and... And then you have sort of like the Sean Walsh episode where it's just, you're just laughing, even though he's got a tragic story to say, he's Mm. just very funny, naturally off the cuff. And it just rolls and rolls and rolls. And I think having both those skill sets is really interesting. Mm. And I said like tribe earlier, it's such a weird one because you have such a broad church on there. It's from all sides of, of the spectrum. But I do see a lot of people call you guys right wing and it must be tiring to have to hear that and defend that shit, because it's so obviously the the least charitable and nuanced analysis of what you guys do. Does it piss yeah. you off? Or have, no, are you, are you it used it? to. It used yeah. to, because what happens is...
0: The thing is, I suspect that this is... is it's probably less true if you are not asking difficult questions and if you're not raising difficult subjects Mm. but i also think that you know we have what 350 something thousand subscribers now Mm. uh, on youtube and probably a similar number on the podcast so that's you know an audience of you know at least half a million people if not more than that Mm. right probably more once you get to that level you don't you're no longer uh in you're no longer in charge of how other people Mm. perceive or represent you uh, to Mm. the world and i found this because you i often find that when people write articles about us or talk about us even people who like us and who think that we're on their side or they don't accurately represent who we are what we stand for so i you know i think there's there are a few people who are definitely deliberately trying to misrepresent us so in order to you know attack us or or uh, to discredit what we do or whatever but i think the majority of people they just they're not able for obvious reasons you know they don't know us they've never met us in the mm. way that you've met me for example you don't know what kind of person i am mm. um and also people get in their head about stuff you know uh, i remember um having a conversation with somebody um uh, about the they basically suggested so as we talked about on rogan there were a couple of times where we were forced to leave our studio Mm. because the people who owned that studio would disagreed with what we were doing or whatever and thus day one of the people who was involved in us leaving their studio so had formally kicked
1: you out of a studio yeah
0: i he, he himself wasn't the one that did it but he was part of a group of people who right. were involved in it sure. uh he said sometimes i think you, you're just doing this for publicity and i was going wait you made us leave how how are we doing this for publicity but but and but I found this with when I turned down that contract when I was a complete unknown comedian I turned down this contract it goes super viral in the media and people were saying to me oh you've got like a great PR team and I
1: was like (laughs) that PR team is
0: one man (laughs) and that PR team is me and my agent who was really not that involved in in much of it you know she did a great job managing the publicity but she didn't she didn't create any of it yeah um but but once you become a public person in any way your reputation and how people perceive you is not really within your control so uh Mm -hmm. initially it really pisses you off because you're like wait that's not me that, that no 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 I'm not this and by the way I felt that way about people who were like on my team too they would misrepresent what I'd said or you know position me in a way that I wasn't comfortable with mm. but then I just realized once you are in the public eye in any way people are gonna they're gonna think what they think and all you can do is just be who you are and try to stick with your principles so mm. eventually it's it's a difficult process but it takes a little bit of maturing where you kind of get past that. And look, every now and again, uh, I'm tempted to get annoyed
1: about it. And then you just go, "Ah, it's just that thing. It's yeah. that thing again, right? It's just that thing. It's the developing of a thicker skin that sort yeah. of builds up over time. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because sort of back, back to what you're saying about comedy is you'd think a lot of comedians would have a thicker skin, but it turns out that so many of them have the thinnest of thin skins. Right. And in your book that you mentioned the stuff about... um. Sophie Hagen, ironically saying that the, her fans are on the right side of history mm. and having like snowflake proof material. And uh, and a lot of that stuff to me is just patently ridiculous and ripe for, for poking fun at. But I do wonder what your take is on this, because as you mentioned, Andrew Doyle, he's also in the book, he has this long, good quote. But then at the end, it always comes to this conclusion that I'm always wondering about, which is he says, you know, eventually they'll destroy it completely, right? And it's always this sort of like hyperbolic thing of mm. it will be ripped apart and never survive. And I just I just can't see that happen. Yeah. What do you I, think? I, I well I it's a good point, and I think
0: people often confuse what Andrew and I say about that with the idea that, that this is the inevitable outcome of woke progressivism or whatever you want to call it right yeah Uh, i try not to use the word work uh let's call it progressivism right Right. i am uh quite positive that that is not going to happen but what andrew and i are saying is if this is allowed to continue unchallenged Mm. that is what would happen which is why we are challenging it this is kind of like people go well the pendulum will swing back yeah if we say something it will Right. Right. If we do something like Andrew's created Comedy Unleashed, which is actually formulating a, a a counter position when it comes to comedy, it's offering people an opportunity to do any comedy that they want and to show that just because somebody wants to challenge the prevalent narrative in the comedy industry doesn't mean that they're evil
1: and a bigot and a whatever. Okay, so it's sort of like that Pastor Niemoller quote: "Like first they came for the Christians, I did not speak up because I was not a Christian." Kind of. Well,
0: let's not compare this to 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 to, <laughs> to standing up to the Nazis because uh, <laughs> people will misinterpret that. But but yeah, um, I tried.
1: <laughs> you, you, you did
0: your best, but uh, it, it's more like. If this is allowed to go on in this way, then mm-hmm. we're going to have a serious problem, which is why it's important for people to speak up and to go, no, no, we don't have to do everything like this. I, uh, you know, I find it funny when when comedians, you know, do the things that Sophie does and whatever, but I, I'm not suggesting that she should be prevented from doing it. I think right. uh, in many ways, uh, the current uh, dogma of the comedy industry, which is, uh, rapidly destroying both uh, the tv comedy that we all used to like and watch uh, and rapidly destroying the edinburgh festival um w- you know i i know for example we just interviewed tom stayed mm-hmm. uh the, the brilliant canadian comic who, who's operating in the uk and he he's just gone back from the edinburgh festival and he was saying basically the cancellation of jerry satterwhite's show oh, yeah. uh essentially in, there are a lot of people saying it killed the festival permanently because it's basically overt censorship of comedians material. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. How a festival called The Fringe right. is going to maintain that that narrative once it's uh, it's doing that is difficult to see. So I, I think that's happening. Uh, do I think that's a good or bad thing? Well, at this point, I'm kind of tempted to say it's actually quite a good thing because the industry was becoming very stale, uh, and it's forced people like me, it's forced people like Francis, it's, for, it's forced people like Leo Curse and Nico Yearwood and Darius and, and the guys who do GB News now, it forced them to look elsewhere and not to operate within the confines of that industry and create stuff that as you can see, people actually want to watch, right? Uh, trigonometry has a huge audience. It has, you know, we had a comedian on called Freddie Quinn, who most people wouldn't know, but I don't think he agrees with us on a lot of things, but he did say, I would much rather have 40,000 YouTube subscribers than do Live at the Apollo. Mm. And if you remember, uh, you know, within my lifetime, one appearance on Live at the
1: Apollo and then you're grandfathered into the system forever. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah.
0: you, 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 you would make a career of that. Yeah. It's probably, you know, Mock the Week's been cancelled with yeah. the mass report, which I used to write for, by the way, mm. has been cancelled. Uh, well, not renewed, rather, both of those. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen with Live at the Apollo as well. Right. So they are destroying the industry from the inside. And I was trying to warn people that this was happening they thought that the reason I wanted to warn them about this is I'm evil and right-wing and whatever. Well, fine. Now they're the ones that are going to have to lie in the bed that they made while I am enjoying my life on the
1: internet. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Um, you said a couple of things that are really interested me because um, one thing reading your book and, and immigrants love letters to the West available now mm. um, <laughs> is uh your past as a translator comes up about like words and you just said Mm. there about, you know, the word woke uh, and the the idea of the fringe. And I just wanted to challenge you on something because Mm. you're a linguist and uh, I'm fascinated by words and and etymology and all that kind of stuff. And you say, you know, once upon a time when things were saying gender was simply a synonym for sex. And that's not really true, is it? like if you look into the origin of that word it it comes from the same root as genre right and it came from like genus and like you make a point of like words they're trying to activists are trying to change the meaning of our words and Mm -hmm. i i agree with you yes they are but i don't think there's anything new about that so for example the word um whore or, or gay or bully These are all examples of words that are called uh, sweetheart words. I'm telling you, the audience, you will know this stuff, obviously. They started out with a positive meaning. Bully comes from the Dutch for brother. Mm -hmm. And over time, these words adopt a pejorative term such Mm -hmm. that today, sometimes the original meaning is completely gone. Isn't that just what's happening when people are using some of these words like fascist or liberal yeah it's losing its power because people are changing it from its original meaning but that's just what happens with words uh
0: i think it really depends on the kind of words that you're talking about so for example gender i don't think it's, which is where you started this yeah. conversation yeah. i don't think that's an example of that uh gender is a word that was used exclusively to describe language linguistic constructions right the the, the gender like female feminine and masculine in, sure. in language and then it was actually i mean this is a long and, and boring conversation not Boring about, to me this is uh, this is what
1: we're doing 15th <laughs> century get in there mate it.
0: <laughs> well it was actually uh a a section of feminism that invented the concept of gender uh, and this was a way of protecting uh in their eyes protecting women uh from the impositions of the idea that biological sex means that it comes with certain behaviors. In other words, you and I as men have to behave in masculine ways, and therefore women have to be meek and be in the kitchen and whatever. Yeah, like
1: roles. But it it actually, it, it, it dates back to way before that, because sex became, you know, not only biological, it also became like sexy. It acquires that kind of form and then gender, is able to isolate from that and just be like well it's not to do with sex it's just to do with you know anatomy almost in a way and then then it changes over time and becomes those roles i agree with you yeah it does yeah. and then you're it's a performative function in society
0: so that's the distinction that i'm talking about the right. invention of the idea the invention of the idea of gender identity that's mm. what i'm talking about right okay. the the idea that uh, we need a separate set of categorizations to describe essentially how people behave, Yeah. right? Whereas I, I don't I, I, don't think the idea, I don't think gender identity is a real thing. I don't think it exists. It, it can exist. And there are many, this is the problem with languages. Is language is a trick that we yeah. use to create ideas in our heads that don't map onto reality. You can create any sort of theory or concept with language without it having to be connected to reality in any way and so so, yeah no no so 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 i'm I'm talking about that of course language evolves over time but this is a deliberate separation this was deliberate the idea was that the separation of, of the idea of sex and biology from gender identity would protect women from being imposed upon by the evil patriarchy mm-hmm. right that that was the point and the problem for us feminists are very rapidly starting to realize is once you invent the concept of gender identity like many new inventions it comes with all sorts of unintended consequences that will potentially then end up being used against you
1: but the idea that drove it initially from those early feminists does that not have value to it it, it, there was a reason that these ideas have come to the fore. And it was wasn't it largely just because women were societally more oppressed and expected to fulfill certain things that we can call gender roles. We can call it something else as well. Like you say, mm. language is a trick, mm. but it points it references something that that did exist and was less favorable for women, surely. and Yes, improved since.
0: Yes, it was just the wrong solution to the right problem.
1: Okay, so what's the right solution? or do you? Not? I'm
0: not saying I necessarily have the right sorry, solution sorry. Uh, at all. Uh, I'm just saying that this particular solution not only did not solve the problem, it in many ways created a new problem which uh, feminists are now dealing with, which is people going, oh, gender identity. That means uh, I'm not connected to my biological sex. Correct. Therefore, I can identify as whichever way I want. And as it happens, that turns out there are quite a lot of people who are male biologically who wouldn't mind identifying as female
1: yeah uh, what's this quote you have in your book that just blew my mind it's like men who have periods and give birth are men and so yeah
0: and this is the lclu saying this the american civil liberties union
1: it's yeah you do, i mean how do you wrap your head you talk about trick they're tricking themselves with that. well this so, is what
0: happens when you invent the concept of gender identity this is my point right um which doesn't exist in my opinion. Uh, There are people who want to dress as the opposite sex. There are people who wish to present as the opposite sex. That's fine. Uh, That does not mean that they are that opposite sex. And there is no such thing as gender identity for them to identify into. They're not male and they're not female. If they are identity, they are the sex that they were born and they choose to behave in a different way, right? That's perfectly normal. It's existed for thousands of years. Yeah. those people shouldn't be discriminated against or mistreated or treated badly in any way, unless they are uh, in a position where they're infringing upon the rights of other people. Uh, For example, uh, someone with a penis in a female prison, whatever their gender identity is, does not belong there. Right. So that's kind of what I was getting at by talking about the separation and the divorce of those uh, two concepts.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I think that's probably fair and like it's sort of I guess related to that you know the Carlin bit about words you know uh, shell shock PTSD that whole thing the sanitizing language I know you say he's like your favorite comedian which yeah great mm-hmm. amazing right I just think I feel like what what other choice do people have do you know what I mean like I, I like you say I think they're probably acting mostly well maybe this is one for debate mostly i think people are probably acting in good faith and trying to make the world a better place mm-hmm. and oh
0: oh those are the worst people
1: <laughs> do you oh, not think I, you're I, one I, of those
0: of course i am
1: of course <laughs> oh, i am you're one of the worst yeah
0: yeah of course those are the worst people <laughs> The The worst people are, the most dangerous people are, uh, are the people who think they are going to improve the world and who don't recognize their own limitations. Right. And they believe that their good intentions entitle them uh, to tell other people how to behave, or to punish people for not behaving the way that they think—that's yeah. the difference between me and those. I am unquestionably one of the people who's what in Russian we call pasanari, so someone who's passionately concerned with the fate of the, the the society in which they live. Right? Yeah. The difference between me and these people is I have a check on myself in that I don't ever believe in. Uh, punishing or restricting other people. I yeah. believe in upholding the laws that we have and ensuring that they are uh, fair and balanced to everybody. Right.
1: Right. right. And yeah, I, I,
0: I, yeah. I don't want to destroy my political opponents. I don't want to cancel them. I don't want to stomp them into the ground. I want us to have a free society in which we both present our arguments and the arguments that are better win. And they are the people that are elected and those policies are implemented Right, right now well we're obviously not there yes. but my my point is i don't want sophie hagan not to be able to perform on the comedy circuit but almost the entire comedy industry would like me not to be able to perform on the comedy circuit mm. which is no big loss for me at this point but at one point it would have been right so it's the desire to punish people into compliance that's my problem i have no problem with people holding any sort of view that they like as long as they're not forcibly implementing it on other people and as long as they're not breaking the law and they're not infringing on the rights of others
1: right and this kind of comes from one of the really interesting things i learned from your book is the origin of the term political correctness this Mm. sounds like it's in the same kind of territory right which was invented in soviet russia to uh describe the opinion that you are meant to have and it will be enforced upon you if you don't have it and the punishments will be great.
0: Yeah. And, th- and that's one facet of it. But the, I guess the exact, what I'm really talking about is there's one of my favorite Russian uh, sci-fi writers, what well, these two brothers called the Strugatsky brothers. Uh, they are the people who wrote, they, the one of the short stories they wrote was Picnic by the Roadside. Mm. Um, and if you're a gamer, um, uh, they um, uh, the the stalker series of games is based on mm. their on their writings on that very one uh, picnic by the roadside and and the concept of of that short story is basically some aliens land in a in a small patch of land somewhere uh and they um leave behind all sorts of weird anomalies and uh shape shifting items and and things like that and there's Mm. these people called stalkers who go into this zone the exclusion zone uh and uh get these artifacts out of there and some of these artifacts have you know hugely powerful uh elements to them but they're also very dangerous Mm. and anyway there's a scene in this short story where these two uh people these two people say well what if what if you know what if um you know these aliens they're here to help us what if they're uh, you know, why would you fight people who are here to do good? And the other guy says, I would fight them because they want to do good as they understand it, mm. right? Uh, I am against people imposing on others their values by force. Uh, and I try not to be one of those people. Now I have values that I think are very important. uh, Freedom of expression, freedom to protest, freedom to discuss ideas, uh, the constant questioning of dogma. I think these are things actually uh, many of the comedians of the 80s and 90s would have been behind. And actually many comedians today, particularly the more successful ones would agree with. Uh, But there's a new dogma in the comedy world that says, no, no, these are bad values. Freedom of expression, freedom of debate, freedom of different people to have different ideas, a perpetual curiosity about politics, about life, about these things, a, a genuine openness of discussion. These are bad things. Yeah. These are, this is what fascists do, right? This is the new dogma. I am opposed to that, but I would never want to put those people uh, in a camp or damage their career, right? That's not what I'm about. So people can be passionate about improving the world, and I am definitely one of those people. But the check I try to have on myself is I I try to play by my own rules, and yeah. I try to treat people, other people the way I'd want to be treated.
1: So that's quite... Um... That's quite idealistic utopian I am an principles. idealist yeah. yeah yeah because these these things that you're talking about like barely ever exist throughout human history do you know what I mean no. pockets of them where they come up and then mm-hmm. repression is the order of the day yes um you know it, I think you mentioned at one point sort of media should be this sort of free open thing to challenge the powerful and it's like well yeah but has that ever existed for longer than 5 minutes before but to some extent it has to and, some
0: extent it has sure yeah. i'm being a bit
1: hyperbolic but mm. very, it's very rare and it's the exception rather than the rule um which same, is why it's
0: so worth fighting for which is, is why it's so rare. worth
1: fighting for but that right. what, what i guess what i'm what i'm getting to is um okay, one of the things you said one of my favorite quotes from your book is that uh, radical socialism and communism are two cheeks of the same ass. Mm. <laughs> it's just a beautiful bit of phrasing. But I actually find, reading between the lines of some of what you say, I think because you're a utopian, I think some of the ideals. I'm enshrined... not utopian. I'm idealist. A Sorry, difference. idealist. Fine. Yeah, we yeah can I'm not use utopian. That word instead. I don't, yeah. I don't mean to misquote you. Um, I find some of the ideals enshrined in those ideas are also some of the things that you're saying. Now, you also say that the excesses of socialism are only matched by the grotesqueness of capitalism, right? Mm. So, I guess what I'm asking is like, how close to this kind of idealist society can we get? Given that you ob- obviously, we've tried running the, the socialism experiment, it degrades into dictatorship almost immediately, mm-hmm. and capitalism degrades into cronyism shall we say a lot of the time Mm -hmm. how close to that ideal one that you're talking about with the free free media freedom to express your opinions and not be cancelled or destroyed or pilloried how close is that to happening ever how likely is it
0: I don't think you're ever going to get to the ideals, which is why I'm not a utopian. A utopian is someone who believes that the ideal society is possible. I don't believe it's possible. Um, this, you know, one of my favorite people to read is Thomas Sowell, who talks a lot about um Th- you know th- the problems that happen when we fail to recognize human nature and human mm-hmm. nature is that we are imperfect mm-hmm. um so i don't believe that we are ever going to get to that ideal society and i'm therefore not willing to throw out the baby with the bathwater in order to get there what i am saying though is we we have some very good ideas for how to be as close to a good society as we possibly can be. Mm. And we're currently in some areas moving away from that. We are moving away from the idea that the best society is a free society. No, now we are concerned with safety mm. uh, and well, and we've redefined that word to mean something it never used to mean, of course. Safety used to mean the absence of physical violence. Now it means that no one challenges your opinion. Right. I yeah. don't think that's, that's good. I don't think that's a good direction of travel. I don't think Uh, the restricting what comedians can and can't joke about Mm. is a move in the right direction. I don't think uh, narrowing the, the, what people call the Overton window, the range of ideas that can be discussed in public without you being punished. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea to call people who vote a different way to you in the referendum Fascists and Nazis, because those words have an actual meaning. Yeah. And if you erode the nature of those words, then what happens is people who are actual fascists and actual Nazis now have a defense and they go, Well, look at those guys. Those centrist guys at trigonometry are getting called right wing and Nazis and evil. Mm. So we are not Nazis either. And we've had a situation There was a period uh, about a year and a half ago when we were being trolled by actual Nazis who were very upset that a Jewish guy from Russia and what they call Francis the fat Jew, even though he's not Jewish, um, uh, these two Jews in inverted commas were doing this show that we're exploring some of these uh, more difficult conversations, but not doing it from the way they would have wanted, right? So we were having the conversation about uh, should the country have open borders or do we need for example to have immigration controls we were interviewing people who were pro-Brexit uh but we were doing it from our position as two people in the center these Nazis hated us but when we said these guys are nazis ignore them there were a lot of people go well everyone gets called a Nazi now right and that's because you've eroded the meaning of the words so all of these trends are not moving us in a better direction so i am not suggesting that we should pursue a utopia and i'm certainly not suggesting that we pursue it by any means all i'm saying is you know the culture can move in this direction or in that direction I don't think we're currently moving in the right direction. And I think we need to reorientate ourselves back to remember what are actually the values that made the West what it is now, which is the most powerful, the most prosperous, uh, the most successful societies in the history of the world.
1: Mm, Right. I guess what interests me about this is something that I I see people say quite a lot about, like, um, and you mentioned in your book as well, sort of like, the idea of the the West or, or of Europe or something like this. It's that's again, that's a bit of a language trick, though, isn't it? Like, what do what even using the term West doesn't make sense because we're yeah, already it's closed. the best
0: criticism of the book. I've said this in many interviews. It's the best criticism of the book is the title. Uh, it calling it an immigrant's love letter to the West, right. Is a bit of a marketing trick because what it really okay. should be called is an immigrant's le- love letter to the Anglosphere, which is what I'm actually talking about. So, the
1: ideals of classical liberalism, basically.
0: To some extent, I I don't know that classical liberalism alone is the answer. I mean, as you can probably see in the book, I talk a lot about uh, had the housing crisis, yeah, and and uh, the problem of inequality. Yeah. I I am you know I'm not one of these people who thinks that because I lived through communism and radical socialism no form of social intervention in 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 the market is valid or valuable Mm. i do think we've got to look after people who can't look after themselves Mm. and we've got to make sure that the crony capitalism that you mentioned earlier is not allowed to overwhelm the system to the point where we have a situation now where young people we you know people i talk to conservative people about this all the time they're like oh yeah young people got to start having kids well if they can't because <laughs> yeah, right. they can't buy a house or a flat to live in how are they how are you expecting these people to be conservative i've just uh my wife and i had a baby four months ago Oh yeah
1: congratulations yeah.
0: thank you so much and it's it's one of the things that unquestionably grounds you a lot more in reality because mm. whatever theories you had about how you were going to do things or how things were going to work out or whatever when they clash with the reality of there's a baby and it's screaming and whatever thoughts you had about the way you're supposed to do this, actually, you've got to find what works. So having children grounds you, it means that you have to provide a stable income. So again, you can't be away with the fairies in your head. You've got to go out there and do a job and bring, bring in the money to mm-hmm. make it possible, right? Yeah. So a lot of the answer to a lot of the social craziness is to 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 deal with the problems that to some extent are causing it. So there's those real things on the one hand. On the other hand, there's also social media too. Yeah. Uh, And social media amplifies a lot of this craziness and stupidity. In a world where fewer and fewer people have the experience of being around kids, for example, that's where it's a lot easier to go on social media and to go, oh, uh, there's no difference between men and women. Well, Mm. not unless you have seen them. (laughs) You you know what I mean?
1: If you've stepped out of your door and met one. Yeah. Yeah. I've Yeah. I know. And you I mean, you've you, you you've got some good quotes in there from some pretty wild people like, you know, trees are racist or there's one I, I have. I'm I'm very angry. At you. you made me read this book that I'll never unread now. Thank <laughs> you very much. Why? I'm no longer talking to white people about race. It's the most mm-hmm. ridiculous waste of my time that I always hate reading the whole time. <laughs> uh, and obviously these figures, it, it's great to poke fun of them. I don't know. Have you ever heard the story of Mina's Coffee Shop? Uh, no. Oh, my God. We don't have much time. So I won't tell you the whole story. I'll send you a link. It is the most fascinating example of a, a left wing ideologue collective being all like pro this, pro that and just eating itself entirely. And obviously, these are the most entertaining examples mm-hmm. um, and the most ripe for ridicule. But do you really think that's the gen- the general movement of the whole society or is it just these amplified noises online that actually in real life, like you say, you walk out the door, you m- meet people in real life. I was at a Ricky Gervais gig the other day. You talk mm-hmm. to people, everyone's laughing about crazy shit and just being normal most of the time, aren't they?
0: At a Ricky Gervais gig they are. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you've pre-selected your audience there a little bit. <laughs> well, that's uh, a super funny uh, it's a nice try slipping that one past me. <laughs> uh, n- no, but um, obviously... This insanity is crazier among people who, as we just alluded to, don't leave their house. And they sit on Twitter all day. Uh, Undoubtedly the case. However, uh, and this is a point that uh, Andrew Doyle made on our recent interview, uh, which I thought was actually uh, spectacularly accurate. Look at some of the legislation that this conservative government has brought in. It brought in uh, legislation to stop people from protesting. And then they did uh, what they did even worse is they brought in the online or they're trying to, I think, I can't remember if, I think it has gone through the online safety bill. The conservative government of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland is bringing in, bringing in a bill, which is called the online harms bill or the online safety bill. In other words, they're quoting directly from the critical theory playbook, mm. they're quoting directly from the progressive activists, and it is now a, a criminal offense in this country to be grossly offensive. People in this country are being arrested by for memes. Mm. People in this country, like Joe Lysa, are being inve- comedians being investigated for <laughs> jokes, right? <laughs> so, so, so we can we can talk about all of this being like a symbol of online stupidity, which of course it is. But unfortunately, some of the people who are stupid online are also stupid in real life, and they take their stupidity from their university campuses into the real world, where and eventually they they become responsible for writing our laws and enforcing them they they go into the houses of parliament i was at the house of lords on the day the queen passed away and the, the person who invited us there was explaining to us basically that the reason that all of these social changes happening at a legislative level is that all these old people the mps and the lords They've got their grandkids going, but look, we've got to be this and we've got to be that. And they're like, OK, let's do something. You know, this is a white patriarchal institution. Absolutely. it is. you walk around the House of Lords, you can tell that straight yeah. away, right? Yeah. That We've got to do something. So what do we do? Let's get one of these extremists in to explain to us why we're all racist. Let's get one of these extremists in to explain why we're all sexist instead of going, OK, look, what we've done over centuries is excluded certain types of people. Let's remove the barriers, remove the barriers, not, not, not blame ourselves for centuries of oppression, just remove the barriers and let people compete on a level footing. And if you do that, you're not going to have a problem getting women this is one of the reasons i'm not a fan of the conservative party particularly in its current incarnation yeah. but this is one of the reasons the conservatives actually are able to get a lot of quote-unquote diversity because they just remove the barriers of people's way and they go we don't care what your skin color is or your sex is as long as you do the job right you don't need these diversity initiatives in anything like the way that the other side of the political spectrum thinks you do but constantin
1: two things right it's like one all of this uh, legislation is being passed by quote unquote right wingers. Right. And you, uh, yeah. but, but you're saying it comes from a radical progressive left mindset. It does. So what, what is going on there, I suppose. And then part two is like, sometimes don't we have to be ahead of the, tr- like if you think about civil rights, right. So giving people the right to vote who didn't have it before mm. or, or Jewish people issues like me and you are both jews right it's like certain professions that they weren't allowed to be in mm-hmm. and then you know over time someone changes things don't you sometimes have to be ahead of things in order for these things to happen and was it- there pro-jewish discrimination anti-jewish discrimination no no was there pro-jewish
0: discrimination That's what i'm asking you did we say uh gentiles must be excluded in order that more Jews are included in these professions, um, did we say we've got to have a minimum of 10% Jews or 3% Jews or 1% Jews or 0.001% Jews, which is about what we are, the total global yeah. population, right? In the world, we didn't say any of that. No. We said, stop killing us, stop <laughs> discriminating against us, stop treating us as second class citizens. That's all. That's what the Civil Rights Act in America and the civil rights movement was about. It was saying, Let me be treated on the content of my character. In other words, let me be treated like everybody else. Is that what's happening? Is that your experience of how comedy lineups are booked at the moment? No. Is that how they're booked on the basis of if you're good enough, you're going to be in this? No, they're booked on the basis of legislation
1: is is either. It's it's deeply authoritarian.
0: Well, exactly. Um, But how's it
1: coming from the progressive left? That's what confuses
0: me. It's coming from the progressive left because they're the people that are clamoring for it, and then the people in the House of Commons and then the House of Lords listen to their eighteen-year-old granddaughter who's banging on about it and go, "Oh, well, it's true. We are, we have been very white and we have been exclusively male for centuries. We've got to do something. Something. well as we listen to these progressives this is what they're suggesting well i don't know maybe, maybe we're all racist or whatever maybe we do need to bring in someone who's paid two grand an hour uh, to tell us how britain is is the center of the global patriarchy or whatever. right Or those
1: what well, those the white fragile have you have you read it I, don't, I haven't read it but those people who pay thousands of pounds to sit down and have dinner and be told how horribly racist they are right yeah there's right. a weird self-flagellation streak that's kind of In a lot of people certainly always been there
0: though and this is the important thing that people should understand if anyone who disagrees with me and my views are still listening to this conversation at this point which is unlikely (laughs) Uh, but if they are this is the point that i think people need to understand there's nothing liberal about this ideology whatsoever there's nothing liberal or progressive about an ideology that says People should be treated differently because of the color of their skin Mm. or that says that some people should be discriminated against because they happen to have been born in a male body and other people should be discriminated in favor of because they've been born in a female body. Uh, There's nothing progressive or liberal about this. This is an authoritarian ideology Mm. that wants to reshape society by punishing people because people who looked like them in the past did things that people don't agree with anymore. That's it. It's an authoritarian ideology. There's nothing to do with liberalism. And the reason that it's happening all around us is that they've infiltrated all these institutions and organizations. The police, for example, are now completely and squarely uh, dictated to by the College of Policing, which is where a lot of these ideologies have been embedded through Stonewall. The reason that the police now arrest people for memes is that Stonewall was taken on board as one of the advisors to the police authorities mm. in how to police conversations about the trans issue, right? Mm. So it's not that the, 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 we have uh, ordinary police officers who are members of our audience, who pay us money, who watch the show that we talk to regularly. The ordinary Bobby on the beat is not interested in going around arresting people for posting something on Facebook. They're not, but that is what they're being told because their organization was advised by Stonewall, which is now rapidly becoming one of the most discredited activist organizations in this country. So it was coming from the radical left, but it's been embedded in a lot of our public institutions. The media is overrun with it. Comedy is overrun with it. And that's why these ideas are being enforced.
1: So I guess this that all kind of comes round to the the freedom of speech issue, which is... I suppose at the, at the heart of all of this and like there was one thing in your book who was it brendan Sol- O'Neill? yes who said oh yeah i'm i'm a complete free speech absolutist and then almost two sentences later is saying obviously uh, incitement to hatred is a different issue it's like incitement to like violence the incitement to violence right so it's like so we shouldn't have hate speech laws but also you can't incite to violence i feel like Sometimes the people who trumpet loudly this the free speech absolutist thing Mm. are using two definitions here and side by side, because obviously, if you're saying freedom, absolute of speech, then that doesn't include any caveats, right? That's the whole point of the word absolute.
0: Yeah, that's why I don't agree with Brendan on many of the things that he says about free speech, even though I agree with a lot and I really like Brendan. Um, And I would never call myself a free speech absolutist because, for example, Brendan thinks there should be no libel laws, Mm -hmm. uh, no defamation laws, etc. And he's got his own arguments for that. I don't agree with that i do think we need libel laws i don't think you should be able to shout fire in a crowded theater which i don't think you would agree with either to be honest um and i don't think i actually i don't understand why we restrict speech that is an incitement to violence only i think speech that incites people to any criminal activity actually should be illegal yeah it's not not if you uh it's not necessarily about violence like should be illegal to incite people to you know not pay their taxes or whatever it is you know right, in public right. if you go on question time and you say the government should not uh you know n- not the government people should uh, not pay their taxes anymore i mean that is illegal to me as well because you're inciting people to commit a crime um but uh so, yeah, I, I don't agree with free speech absolutism and I never, ever call myself a free speech absolutist.
1: Right. But I guess what I'm saying is that the the people who are pushing these bills like this one, that's making it illegal to post something online. Mm. They're probably thinking about it in a similar way that you just articulated, that they're, they're, they don't want people to incite people to do things that are illegal. Well, now these things are illegal. So... It's and, not you know, illegal to post a, an offensive meme. Well, apparently, it's just it has just been made. Illegal. It's, it,
0: well, it's is? not. It's a, it's a non crime hate incident, which is a way of uh-huh. getting around the fact that it's not actually illegal. But the police are now able to punish people uh, and restrict their rights, etc., over this thing, right? right? But I guess the core of your argument isn't about that. The core of your argument is just like me. The people who want to restrict people's speech around memes are doing it because they think this is the type of speech that is harmful and therefore should not be included.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Right. There's a difference between inciting people to commit violence and to commit criminal activity and mocking something, making fun of something, Mm -hmm. inciting people to laugh. It's not, as far as I'm aware, uh, a crime or dangerous to people to laugh.
1: But Do you think Uh, this difference is objective? surely this is a subjective difference in which case how do you how do you judge it how, how who decides when it is or isn't in this category
0: which is one of the reasons our laws are always written with a reasonable person standard in mind oh, right, right. Uh, because you're right everything is to some extent uh, subject to our individual interpretation which is why we say well a reasonable person would in this certain in this set of circumstances feel this way or that way mm. um so yeah uh it, my all i'm trying to say is uh, i think of myself as a reasonable person <laughs> uh, as uh, and i'm trying to articulate the position that reasonable people ought to articulate on this issue that's all
1: well i i think you're an entirely reasonable person actually Constantine. And well, well haters done. mate um yeah. and uh congratulations on the success of the book i know it's been selling well and you've been doing a lot of media and you're going from strength to strength I'm, i couldn't be happier to see it happen mate i'm i'm really happy for you and thank you so much for coming on the show dude it's been i really absolute...
0: appreciate it man thank you so much for having yeah. me i really enjoyed it
1: Cheers. great questions as well nice thanks lot, man. man i appreciate okay. it bye Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please give us five stars and consider becoming a subscriber and maybe even supporting us on Patreon. It really, really, really helps me continue making this show. Uh, if you haven't enjoyed it, then you can have fun. Many, many thanks to Nil Tennis Steer for the amazing music and to Dave Fox for the cool artwork. Please keep coming back every week for more Bliss of the Abyss.